Okay, we're going to start chapter 5 tonight. I don't know how far we're going to get, as I've been bringing out. It's going to start getting pretty dense from here on out. And I don't know how slow we're going to go. There's, I mean, I could literally teach the whole meeting on any one verse that we're going to be looking at for like the next four or five chapters. So uh, we'll see. You know, we'll hope to cover at least the first five verses tonight. But just in way of recap, in the first four chapters, first of all, in the introduction, he introduced, again, the, the, the theme of the epistle of the book of Romans, which is the power of the gospel, which is, which is the theme of Romans. And in the second part of the verse, it talks about how the unbelievers <clears throat> who leave... Are, unaccount are, are accountable before God because God is revealing himself to everybody. And people who don't get saved have really literally spent their whole life saying no to God. Um, chapter 2 talks about the religious man who thinks, and, and again, as we brought out, religion is the most dangerous thing because people uh, get taught and taught and taught and they end up with a hardened heart that they think that you know, because they're doing their religious stuff, that's going to make them right with God. And it has a tendency, as, you, as we found out, to make them judgmental towards people who are not like them. Chapter 3 said there is no difference because everyone's fallen short of the glory of God. It doesn't matter how, how bad you are or how religious or good you think you are. You're falling short of, of the righteousness of God and you need salvation. And that, you know, the righteousness of God is for all who believe. Chapter 4 talked about the operation of faith because it's faith in what in the death, burial, and resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ that we're being made righteous. And, and it talks about the operation of faith, how Abraham believed things that, that looked to be impossible simply because God said so. And we looked a little bit ahead and talked about how faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. And Fear goes by, comes by meditating on your problems. And another word for that is called worry. But faith is something we can all do. So let's get into chapter 5 now. It starts out with all that in mind as it's with that one, therefore. Therefore, because of all those things. Therefore, because there's no way you can be good enough by yourself. Therefore, because there's... No way you've ever so bad that you're beyond redemption. Therefore, having been... I hope that's not going to be a distraction for you guys. Having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. God is pleased with us. Faith pleases God. Hebrews 11.6 says that without faith, it's impossible to please God. So all you have to do is believe and God is pleased with you. Chapter 2, it says, through whom, who? Through the Lord Jesus Christ, we have access by faith into this grace in which we stand and rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. Now, this verse is full. First of all, we have access by faith into grace in which we stand. We talked about grace. 
We talked about faith and grace. If you remember, you made it worse. <laughs> yeah, you would, you would turn these floor lights on. Moment. No, you didn't. I don't just throw something at it. <laughs> yeah, it's obviously it's connected to the sound machine. Uh, so where was I? Oh, yeah, faith and grace. Remember, when, we, when, when you see that in the Bible, when you see either faith or grace in the Bible, whether it mentions the other one or not, it's there because that's what grace comes through faith. And, and faith is, is, you know, what receives the grace. It, and in, here we see we have access by faith into this grace which we stand. Now, last week we, we were used an example of living by faith, and we used that example of Peter walking on the water as, as a type of, a, of the walk of faith. So in that sense, you could think about it. He wasn't really standing on the water because you can't stand on water. It's impossible. He was standing on God's grace. Because Jesus told him, come. And so with the word come came the faith to get out of the boat. And he was walking on God's grace. You remember in the very beginning of the book, in Romans chapter 1, Paul said, I received grace what for apostleship. In other words, the things he was doing for God, the wisdom he had, the teaching he had, the revelation he had, the miracle and the power that were flowing through him were all attributes of God's grace flowing through his life. Except that in Ephesians 4, chapter 7, said each one of us has received grace according to the measure of the gift of God. Which is why I was telling you last week, remember when I was talking about uh, uh, when Jesus told his disciples, get in the boat and go to the other side. Not last week, last two, you know, last meeting. You know what I mean. Um, along with that command came the ability to do just that. They had the power, which, you know, which is, and actually, this was the second time this had happened. The first time, he was in the boat with them, but he was sleeping. And when they woke him up and said, don't you care? We're all dying out here. And, and, he, and he pretty much rebuked them for their unbelief and rebuked the storm. So this was the second time he said, go to the other side. And they were in a storm, and they were trying to struggle against the storm in their own ability. So they said they were toiling against the wind when they should have been believing and going to the other side. Because that's what God said. We're going to get into that a little bit tonight. What to do in the storm. What should we have in the storm? <sighs> so... We have access into God's grace when we stand. We're standing in it, and we are rejoicing, and we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. Hope is a very important word. We talked about it before. I'm going to keep bringing it up. Hope is something, and Bible hope isn't like human hope. Bible hope is something that hasn't happened yet. That's why it's a hope. And we're going to find out in Romans chapter 8. He's going to say, why do we hope for what we already see? No, you don't. There isn't a person in this room who hopes they make it to youth group tonight, right? You're here. <laughs> you know, we might have hoped a few other people who aren't here would come. And that hope might have been disappointed. Or maybe it'll still be, maybe they'll show up late. Who knows? But you know what I mean? It's a hope. It's something, but a Bible hope is something that will absolutely happen, just hasn't happened yet. You know, it's talking about the redemption of our bodies being a hope. You know, it's bought and paid for. You know, it's like it's, 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 it's paid. It's like, you know, you've ordered it on Amazon, so you absolutely know it's coming, but it just isn't here yet. 
You know what I mean? Jesus bought and paid for the whole package, spirit, soul, and body, but the redemption of the body hasn't happened yet. That's going to be the next phase, so that's a hope. But we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. Uh, don't spend the whole meeting on this one verse. I can. So wh what does it mean by hoping in the glory of God? I mean, it's, that's a nice-sounding religious term, but a, a little bit about God's glory. Um, in chapter 6... He's going to say, even as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father. See, we so that's not just, I mean, obviously, it's, it's spending eternity in the presence of God, which is our main hope, right? I mean, that's, that is the main hope. If, you, if, if Don't ever, ever allow yourself to be uh, uh, distracted from that one hope no matter what's going on this is this, we're going to be talking about you know tests and trials and hard times but no matter what's going on in this life james says this life cradle to the grave vapor smoke so we're anchored and we're going to talk about that to that hope no matter how bad things get it's very very temporary okay but also we hope in the glory of god here now Jesus, in John chapter 11, after he found out that his friend Lazarus was sick, and this is why we have to be led by the Spirit, the natural tendency would have been to come running, right? I'm not going to teach too much on that, but, you know, oh, your friend is Lazarus is sick. And it said, so when he heard his friend Lazarus was sick, he waited four days, you know? And when he showed up, everyone was like, if only you would have been here, he wouldn't have died. And Jesus said, your brother will rise again. I know he's going to rise again in the resurrection. I know. And, and then Jesus said something very interesting to Martha. He said, didn't I tell you that if you would believe, you would see the glory of God? What did he, did, did she see the glory of God? What was Jesus talking about when he said, you would see the glory of God? A man was raised from the dead after four days. Jesus didn't come running. Do you know why he didn't come running? I, I think I know why anyway. It said, because he said, after four days, Jesus said, let's go, uh, you know, let's, our, our friend Lazarus is sleeping. Let's go wake him up. See, he was, he was, that's faith talk, right? He knew good and well Lazarus was dead, but to him it was a temporary thing, so he said he was sleeping. Let's go, let's go wake him up. And they would say, oh, oh, Lord, if he's sleeping, he'll do well. Let him rest. He's sick, you know. Let him get, him, get his rest. And finally, he just, I, I could just imagine him rolling his eyes. He goes, the dude's dead. So, but when he said, let's go wake him up, they said, the Jews are waiting to kill you, you know. See, this is how Jesus gets around the snare of the devil, though. See, I mean, God could do it any way he wants, but this is the way he chose to do it at that time. They, were, they, they, they figured, look at this, his good friend Lazarus is sick. He's going to come running in to come to the rescue, and we could be waiting to ambush him. He died. He was in the grave. They stopped waiting, and then Jesus walked right in there. I mean, you, you have to be led by the Spirit. You have to do things God's way, especially when it comes to the miraculous. But my point is, is when Jesus called that seeing the glory of God, seeing the glory of God, we were hoping that. We hope in seeing the glory of God in this life. Amen? God wants, God wants to manifest himself in this life. 
But let's go back to hope. In Hebrews chapter 12, he says, Therefore, since we also, also since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, uh, this is Hebrews 12.1. I'm not going to go through it, but Hebrews 11, pretty much the whole chapter is has been called by theologians God's Hall of Fame of Faith. It talks about, and we, and we looked at Abraham in there, I think, at one point, you know, how Abraham, you know, by faith, uh, you know, received his son back from the dead in a type, you know, accounting that God was able to raise him up from the dead. But all these Old Testament saints, how they were justified by faith before God. And it says, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses. Now, this is an interesting picture here because it's painting the picture of pretty much of people that were in the race that you're in now, but now they're witnesses or they're like in the grandstand rooting you and I on. They're looking for the culmination of things too, only they're in heaven right now. It says, let us, lie every, let us lay aside every weight and the sin that so easily ensnares us and let us run with endurance. That word endurance is going to be important tonight. It's, it's usually translated patience. What it means is consistency. Let us run with endurance. Let us run with patience. Let us consistently run the race that is set before us. Now, the race that is set before us is speaking of the call that's on your life. There's a race that's set before you. It's the, it's the things that God wants you to accomplish in this life. And it says to do it with endurance, to do it with patience, to do it with consistency. You all have probably at one point or another heard the story of the tortoise and the hare, right? What was the difference between the tortoise and the hare? The hare was much faster, much more qualified, but he was inconsistent. You don't want to be an up again, down again, up again, down again type of a Christian. You want to stay consistent. The life of faith is consistent. Patience undergirds your faith and helps you be consistent. Stay consistent. Consistent whether things are good, whether things are bad. We're going to tell you how to do that tonight. But there is a race set before you. First of all, you got to know where you're going, right? I mean, I've, I've run in the, the longest I've ever run a race was a half marathon. And to me, it was, I wasn't competing against anyone else. I was just pretty much running the finish. I've done it three times. That's enough for me. I've never, I don't know if I'll, I don't think I'll, I thought about marathons once or twice, but I don't think I, 13.1 is enough for me, you know? But the thing of it is, is you, you got to, you got to follow the course, right? <laughs> if you're going to finish, if you don't know where you're going, you're going to get off. So point is, is you got to know where you're going in the race, first of all. And second of all, you, you can't think of yourself more highly than you ought to think. That's what, well, that's, that's going to be chapter 12. But what do you think would happen to me, first of all, if when the race started, I just gave it all I got? <laughs> right? I'd last, you know, maybe a quarter of a mile. And that's it. That's what the hair did. Second of all is you got to know your pace. You know, when you do those type of things, they have, they have, a, you know, when, if I, I never did this till I was in my late 50s. I used to run in my early 40s and I, I would have been, you know, one of the bad boys out there back then because I was pretty good. But in my late 50s, you know, the point is you, there's, you know, like a thousand or more people in the race and, and, and so you line up you got to know where you go because the people up front are the ones that they'll put like maybe the five to six minute milers up front, you know, 
the six, the thin back, back. So, you know, me, I, I, and I usually run with my, actually, we've always run with my older daughter. That's the reason we do it, just to do, have something to fellowship around, a nice, you know, train together, run together. So I'd line up in the back with the slugs. Now, you know, the 10-minute miles, that's not too bad. But anyways, uh, you have to know yourself, right? You can't think of yourself more highly. If, you, if you're not, you know, if, if you're not called to be a prophet, don't go out there and try to do the works of a prophet, right? You've been given grace. It's not to say if you're not a prophet now, you never will be or whatever it is, amen? But according to, you've got to know. You can't promote yourself. That's my point. And, and talking about laying aside every weight and sin. Now, sin, it's just obvious. Now, I said this last week, and we're going to bring this up when we get into chapter 6. Jesus bore the penalty of sin. He will not hold sin against you. He did not free us from the consequence of it. Chapter 6 is going to tell us the wages of sin is still death. Actually, later on in this chapter, it's going to tell us that too. Where there's no law, there's no trespass. Nevertheless, sin reigned from Adam to Moses. I mean, death reigned from Adam to Moses. God wasn't holding the penalty against sin, against people, but the consequences of sin were still happening. It'll still kill you. It'll still hold you back. But then there are weights that are not necessarily sins, but they're weights, right? Could be, it could be distractions, things like that. I mean, binge-watching shows. I'm not saying you're sinning if you're binge-watching a show. I'm saying if binge-watching shows takes precedent off your time with God, that's another thing when it comes to the race, right? What if I didn't push myself, train myself, condition myself, I just showed up at race day? Never ran, oh, now I'm going to show up and run 13 miles. Doesn't happen, right? You're training. Remember remember our very first lesson? And I mentioned this our last lesson too. There's calling. There's separation. And in between the two. Now this is just last meeting. Somebody better remember. Is what? Preparation. You got it. You're always preparing for what comes next. There's a race set before you. And running one race is preparation for the next race. You know? Maybe a half marathon would be preparation for a marathon. You never know. If that's what God called you to do, if I, I won't do it unless he tells me to. So, and run with endurance. Know your pace. Know what you, what, what, and, and stay steady on your course. It's, it's, it's better to stay steady, and I'm not saying lukewarm, I'm, but steady than to be on fire one day and cold as ice the next. Looking to Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. Last, time, last meeting when we looked at Peter walking on the water, what mistake did he make? Why did he start to sink? He, start, he started considering the waves instead of looking straight ahead at, guess who? At Jesus. The good news about that is I don't know if, you know, we didn't really spend a lot of time on it, but he said, he began to sink and said, Lord, help me. This is good news for me. And immediately, Lord caught his hand out. Meaning he was just about there. I mean, he did walk on the water, right? He was just about to Jesus and it started sinking. I got you. Right? 
He's good like that. And like I said, we don't want to be the ones calling on help. We want to be the ones out there with endurance who are able to catch the others if, if we catch them falling. You know, that's why we need to be coming together. You know, we're talking about believing God for, for more kids here but, or, and, or, or young people, young adults, whoever are going to come. But why do we want them here? Just so we have a good youth meeting? Or are you getting something that other people need? Are there other people that can fellowship around you that you can help up? That sort of thing. It's, it's for them, not for us, right? Motive is important, too. Okay. That Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. And remember I talked about the hope, the, the, the number one hope we have? You know what the number one hope we should have at all times? Getting to Jesus after walking on the water and walking right up to him and having him say, well done, good and faithful servant. That's, that's the number one hope for everything. Anchor to that. I mean, walking to Jesus, looking to Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, to get from here to there, to run the course with patience, with endurance, with consistency, and getting up there and stepping up to him and hearing those words. That's, that's the hope. That's the hope that we have to base all of, all of the hopes, have to submit to that hope. That's a good filter to run your life through. How will this help that or hurt that in your decision-making processes? How will this relationship, this job, this, and whatever you're doing in life, you know, ask yourself, does this get me closer to that hope or does it knock me off track? Does it take me off my course? Is it, is it a weight? Is it a sin? Is it, is it, is it holding me back? This hope, I'm not going to get too deep into this, but I just wanted to show you that. This hope and all other hopes that we have is an anchor of our soul, both sure and steadfast, which enters the presence behind the veil. Guess who was behind the veil? Jesus. I want to back up a little bit. Back into 12. No, wait. Yeah. Looking to Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy. Now, this is how. Now, I'm going to start talking about this now. This is how you do it. You, you, we just looked at chapter 6 and verse 19. Hope is what we anchor our soul to. We've talked about the soul. Anyone tell me what our soul is? That's right. Will, intellect, and emotions. That's your soul. That's, that's where the warfare is. That's where the battle takes place. That's where we deviate. That's where the enemy comes to try and take us off course, to get us thinking. Remember, what worry, when you're meditating on the problem, you're worrying. If you're meditating on the waves around you, you start to worry. If you're, if you're meditating on the promise of God and keeping your eyes on Jesus, you're, st you're enduring. You're, you're being patient. You're being steadfast. You're being consistent. But this is how Jesus did it. Watch this. Who's who for the joy that was set before him? We have a joy set before us to anchor our soul to. In other words, Jesus was not looking at the cross. He endured it by looking right through it. You see that? Every situation you're in, 
Guess what? The next day is going to come. Look through it. You should have a hope, a picture, a mental image. And, and I'm not of that, yes. But then all the individual, temporal, daily hopes that God promised you victory in every situation. By the end of this chapter, it's going to, it's going to tell us that those who of us, those of us, and I'm, I'm skipping way ahead, but I'm just going to mention it now. In, in chapter 7, in verse 17, it's going to say, those of us who have received this abundance of grace and this gift of righteousness will reign in life. So there's a way over, under, around, or through every situation. And God's going to put that hope in you. Remember, remember this, is, this, is, uh, this is why you can't let these things slip. I'm building and building and building on this. We talked about Delight yourself in the Lord, and he'll give you the desires of your heart, right? And we said, if you're looking at that selfishly, you think he, you think he said, delight yourself in the Lord, and he'll give you whatever you want. It's not what he said. When you delight yourself in the Lord, the things you want are there because God put them there. That's your hope. See, he's going to give you a hope of what he wants to accomplish in your life. And you'll see yourself... On the other side, especially if you're anchored to that great hope of getting to him and hearing the words, then you'll have a hope of every situation you face. Being on the other side of that test, having aced it. Being in the job that God has put on your heart and having the career that God has put on your heart and doing it by his grace, not by your own ability. And being a witness there. Or having that ministry and doing it by God's grace. All these little hopes. Sickness and disease attacks your body. You have a hope of healing. Anchor your soul to that. See it in your mind. And it said that, and what did it say about our hope? Where does it go? By in two immutable things in which it is impossible for God to lie, we might have strong consolation who have fled for refuge to lay hope, to lay hold of the hope set before us. This hope we have as an anchor to our soul. Life around you is a storm, but your soul is anchored to hope. What can the storm do? What can the storm do? Jesus was walking right on top of it. Didn't bother him a bit. I like that picture. We've got a big problem here. And there's Jesus standing on top of the problem. And where is that hope? It's right in God's presence. And what gives us access to that? Faith. In other words, we keep that channel of faith open and that gives God the, the avenue that he needs to bring that hope into reality in our lives. But we have to stay consistent, right? You know, it's, 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 you can't like turn it on and off and on and off and, you know, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to freak out for a couple of days and I'm going to believe for a couple of days and I'm going to freak out for a couple of days. No, you, you, don't, you don't get anywhere. And if you're taking one step forward and two steps back, you're going in reverse. You're not, you're not making any progress. So we have to work at our consistency. 
you have to prepare for those things. You can't just wait for life to happen. Again, we need to be in preparation because life's going to happen. Storms are going to happen. I like pastor uses this scripture all the time. I don't know if you ever caught on with the meaning of it, what he was saying. This is, he always quotes this one. I would, I would have lost heart unless I had believed that I would see the goodness of God. I, don't, I believe you could say the same thing as I believe to see the glory of God in the land of the living. In other words, this side of the grave. In other words, I'm not going to have to wait till I get to heaven to see it. I'm going to see it here now in this life. That's what he means by in the land of the living. I'm going to see God come through right here, right now in this situation every time. And my mind, my soul is firmly anchored to that hope. My mouth isn't going to deviate from that hope. My eyes aren't going to deviate from that hope. My mind isn't going to deviate from that hope. I'm anchored to it. And that hope will happen. It's just a matter of patience and to bringing it to pass. Romans 5.3. And not only that, but we glory in tribulations. Imagine that. In this case, it's rejoicing. It's a good time. Tribulations is a good time. Imagine that. Why? Knowing something. Well, you've got to know something if you're going to glory in tribulation. If you don't know anything, you're not going to glory in tribulation. Do you know anybody who's always got problems? They're always talking about their problems. And every time they get out of their problems, that they're right back next time you see them again, they're back in a different set of problems. You know, I, I, I misspoke last ma- meeting. I said, there's a saying in the world. I said this wrong, but I think you all knew I said it wrong, but no one called me on it. I said, there's an expression in the world that I said, what kills you makes you stronger, but I didn't mean that. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you, did you catch that? Yeah, I was, I was listening to the podcast this morning. What doesn't kill you makes you stronger. That's not necessarily true. I mean, there are some people that are just always depressed. They're depressed about this. Well, then they're through that. Well, now I'm depressed about just always something, always something, always in it. It doesn't make them stronger. Jesus' disciples, like I said, when Jesus said, go to the other side, and he had to wake them up and and rebuke the storm and then rebuke them for their unbelief, And then he said it again, and they were still freaking out. They didn't learn from the first lesson. They didn't learn from the loaves, as we brought out. You can, if you have your your soul anchored to this, the great hope, and then the hope of the promises of God, you can look at hard, hard situations, problems, tribulation, persecutions, temptations even, as opportunity. I mean, it's an opportunity for growth. Knowing something. You've got to know something, right? Remember we looked at scripture in, in Second Peter chapter 1 that said grace and peace is multiplied in the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. It's multiplied in knowledge. What you know. So knowing that Tribulation produces perseverance. This is the same word that's translated patience. Consistency. It produces, it's an opportunity to exercise patience. It's an opportunity to, to, to stand on a promise when tribulation comes. And perseverance produces character. And character produces hope. In other words, Do you ever notice that when you have goals in life, by the time you get there, your goals have grown and they're still out there somewhere? 
because you've gotten to this hope and this hope has become a reality, but now there's a bigger hope out there in the future now. It keeps growing and growing and growing. You never really get there because it, it, it's, it's always expanding. I mean, you get to the hope that you have now, but it keeps growing. And, and, and these things, I mean, you know, if, if they did this often enough, I'm sure sooner or later they would have gotten to a point. I know Paul wasn't with them at the time, but he knew. I mean, he was in a storm, and he, and he was telling everyone else that. Ah, be of good cheer. The ship's going to get wrecked. Everything's going to be lost. But no one's going to die. He knew, right? He had the hope. He wasn't, he wasn't freaking out. After he said, I told you so, because he said, don't go. We're going to have a shipwreck if we go. I hope to get consistent Wi-Fi back here. So, you, it's an opportunity to develop your consistency. You know, I have to be honest with you. When I'm training for a race... My favorite part of it, of the training process, is when I'm finished. <laughs> you know? But that's my hope, right? I mean, when I'm doing, like, I'm, I'm going to do my ride now, I'm going to go, you know, when I, was, when I was training for it, I would do, a, like, a long run, which would be about 10 miles. I would drive into Nassau County and run from... Massapequa Preserve down up along the Bethpage Parkway to the Bethpage Traffic Circle and back, and that would be about 10 miles. That was a nice run, right? And it was nice, and it was enjoyable until, you know, you got to, to you after about six miles or so, and then you start saying, boy, you start looking forward to finishing. <laughs> but then once you do it, your hope grows, you know? Because I had a bigger hope in mind, which would be the, the half marathon. So it, it, it develops those things. Now, hope does not disappoint. Verse 5. In other words, this hope will not be disappointed because, and there's so much of this in this verse, because the love of God has been poured out in our hearts by the Holy Spirit who is given to us. So this love is what? It's poured out in our heart. If we're, we're, we're listening, we're paying attention, it's reassuring us. We're, we're reassured of God's love for us. We know that this hope is, is and, and again, in Philippians chapter 1, Paul called this a confident expectation. Now, again, Bible hope is a way different from the world's hope. It's not, I hope I win the lottery, but it's, you know, this hope that God has given me, this hope of being on the other side of this situation, this hope of stepping into glory and hearing, well done, a good and faithful servant, if I stay consistent. Now, there is an if on that one. I know that um, Kenneth Hagin once had a vision, the Lord appeared to him. And, uh, you know, we can assume what our hope is. It's better to know. Amen than to just take it for granted. Because, you know, he, you, we have presupposed ideas about things. And the Lord appeared to him after he had been a pastor for, and, and forgive me if I get the numbers wrong, because I didn't know I was going to use this as an example. I haven't read this story in many years, or actually heard him tell it in, in over 30 years. So, or about 30 years. He said, uh, 
that the Lord appeared to him after he had been a pastor for like 15 years and told him he was just about to enter the first phase of his ministry. And he said, well, what have I been doing for the past 15 years? And the Lord said, I never called you to pastor. He knew he was called, but he was raised in the Baptist church, you know, and he was still thick-headed. See, in the Baptist church, all they had, they, they, they all taught, you know, there's no prophets anymore. There's, you know, there's evangelists, pastors, and teachers. No apostles. They all passed away. There's no prophets. They're gone. There's only pastors and teachers. And teachers are boring, so I must be a pa- an evangelist. There's evangelists, too. I'm sorry. So I think teachers are boring, so <laughs> that's in his, in his mind. All the teachers he knew were boring anyway. So I, I'm going to be a pastor. I never called you to pastor. So, but you know what he did after that? He tried to be an evangelist. But the Lord told him something interesting. The overwhelming majority, now this isn't, this isn't of Christians, just Christians. The overwhelming majority of ministers, pastors, teachers, evangelists, never get to phase one. There's a course set before us, but we have to run the one that God wants us to run, not the one we choose. That's the idea of being a living sacrifice. That's the idea of being a bond slave. It's the idea of coming to being led by the Spirit. It's the idea of setting aside weight and sin because you're never going to be led and and, and be sensitive to the voice of the Spirit if all these other things are constantly occupying you. You've got to get to that point. But the love of God has been poured out in our hearts by the Holy Spirit who was given to us. Now this is, I mean, actually I see a promise here. I don't know if you see it. But if I believe this, no matter how I feel about someone who's ugly to me, I had a near close encounter with a car on the way here this morning. On, on, on a merge. It's kind of my fault because I was just kind of like not looking around, just looking ahead. And this actually, I don't know if it was my fault or not. I think I was just going straight and this guy was behind me and trying to pass me. But anyway, when the, when the two lanes merged to one, we had a near encounter. And he's hitting his horn and I'm seeing him out the window. He's like, I didn't have warm, fuzzy feelings about him at the time either. But you know what? I don't go by what I feel. See? The love of God is shed abroad in my heart by the Holy Ghost. By an act of faith in that promise, I can love him as Christ loved the church. I can love him. I could, if, if, he was, if someone was trying to kill me, I could say, I have the capacity within me to say, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. And you know what? If you're going to finish your course, you can't, you can't afford to be unforgiving towards anybody. Do you understand? And here's the thing. You don't have to. Just because you don't have a warm, fuzzy feeling about someone doesn't mean you can't forgive them by faith. Right? Right? How come you're not excited about that? Listen. Patience undergirds faith, but it works by love, 
love has to be the motivating force behind faith or it's not faith at all. And love forgives. If Jesus Christ lives in you, if you are a new creation in Christ Jesus, if you are the temple of the Holy Ghost, you can forgive anybody, anything, and guess what? You should. You should. Just by an act of decision and just by believing you can. The feelings will come later. I can honest, honestly say, you know, I don't like talking about this because it's kind of personal, but I can honestly say when my wife told me she was leaving, I was honestly feeling more compassion for her than sorry for myself. Because I knew she was with her eyes wide open, stepping right out of God's will for her life. I, I, I thought, I, 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 was, I was hurting for her, for her, not for me, for her. You can do that. It's, you've got that capacity. And if you want to never fail, because love never fails, you have to develop that. All right. Oh, it's getting late. Here's a good one. My brethren and sisters, count it all joy. <laughs> a lot of these words aren't even in the original, you know. Count it all joy when you fall into various temp trials. King James says diverse temptations, I believe. Count it all joy. Well, that's the same thing that we're seeing in Romans. This is not, what, what is this? Oh, this is terrible. I'm in a tough spot. No, I'm in a wonderful opportunity. I'm in a wonderful opportunity right now. That's what Paul said about when, when um, the devil sent a, a thorn, what he called a thorn in the flesh, a messenger to buffet him, lest he be exalted above measure because of the abundance of revelations. I'm not going to get into a deep teaching on that right now. But he said he departed, you know, in other words, he asked God three times to, for it to depart. Can you get rid of this thing for me, God? And, God kept, and you know what God kept saying? My grace is sufficient. Now, people who don't understand grace think what God said was no. But he didn't say that. Because if we receive the abundance of grace and the gift of righteousness, we reign in life. In other words, God's grace is more than, more than sufficient for anything any messenger of Satan is going to throw at you. Right? I mean, if there was some kid down on the street that was you know, trying to throw you a beating every time you went by and you went to me for help and I gave you a baseball bat and said, this will be sufficient. Well, what, what did you think, you know? <laughs> I'm going to take this and use it. I'm going to take God's grace and I'm going to use it. I'm going to take God's promises and apply it to the messenger Satan to Satan. And he's going to be sorry he ever heard my name. Count it all joy when you fall into various trials. Knowing. See, you've got to know something. The trial of your faith produces patience. It develops patience. It develops consistency. It's, your, it's part of your training. Because it's not the last time, the trial, last trial you're ever going to have unless the rapture is tonight. But let patience, let consistency have its perfect work. So that you may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. 
So what are you looking at this situation? How are you looking through it? You're saying, glory to God. I'm getting closer and closer to being perfect. This is an opportunity to, 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 to jumpstart my faith walk so that I can be perfect and entire, lacking nothing. I'm already on the other side. I'm already there. Did you notice what it said, that the hope is already on, in behind the veil in the presence of God, and I'm already there. Oh, I'm getting happy now. Ephesians chapter 2 says he has raised us up and made us to sit in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Not will has, it's we're already there. And now verse 5, it says, if you lack wisdom, ask God, who gives liberally and without reproach, and it will be given to you. Wisdom for what? Well, what do, how do I go through this storm? How do I deal with this, God? All right? You know, it's not, there's, there's a difference between John the Baptist's father, what was his name again? I don't remember. I know, I'm not supposed to not know these things, but Zechariah, right. See, when, when, when he was told about Elizabeth being pregnant with John, he said, how can this be? But Mary said the same thing. When the angel told her that she was going to give birth, and she says, how can this be, seeing as I don't know a man? But there's a difference, right, on how you ask. In other words, he, well, here's my example. My, my kids, when, when I put them in Faith Academy, uh, I, I, you know, heard from, I was heard from the Lord. I, I knew that I was supposed to do this. We weren't going to homeschool. We weren't going to send them to public. Public school wasn't even an option for me. This was, and this was even before I knew I was going to be on my own with them. And so I went to the Lord and said, okay. They're going to Faith Academy. On paper, I couldn't pay for it, right? The money just wasn't there. How is it going to happen? In other words, all right, I believe you. This is going to happen. How do we do it? I was asking, I was believing God and asking for wisdom. Do you see what I mean? He spoke to me and told me what I was going to do. And it was, did I tell you this before? He said I was going to start a small business in, in, out of my house in my basement, which, like I said, God knew that I was going to be left with them by myself, so I actually was able to keep doing that and be home at nights. And, you know, I said, fine, I need $10,000 in order to get the equipment to start what, what I was doing. And uh, that night, my father, who wasn't even saved yet, by the way, you know God uses people that aren't saved sometimes? Right? He used Pharaoh to take care of, uh, you know, the Israelis in Joseph's day, right? And he called me up that night and said, how much money do you need to start a business? I said, $10,000. All right, write your check. <laughs> out of nowhere, just out of nowhere. I don't even think I ever talked to him about it. So, you know, if you lack wisdom, ask God, and it'll be given to him. But ask in faith, without doubting. In other words, back and forth. I'm anchored. I'm, I'm going to go through this. God, I'm giving you wisdom. So when he gives it to you, don't be like, is that you, God? Ask in faith. He said, if you ask, he'll give it. So the answer you get is his answer. All right, Ephesians 6. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day. 
Now, the evil day, it, it already said previously, is the wiles of the devil, his schemes, his strategies. You know you're going to have them, right? You're not excited about that either? Well, here's the thing. You should be. I'm not kidding. We just found out that you're supposed to count it all joy. Glory and tribulations, knowing this. I didn't make this up. I heard someone else say it, but I love I think it was Andrew Womack. He always says, if you don't ever run into the devil, you're probably going in the same direction. <laughs> well, think about it. And, and that doesn't necessarily, I mean, the whole world, there's a lot of good, what would, what would on the outside would be good and decent people in the world. And yet, 1 John 5, 19 says, the whole world says, we know we are of God, and the whole world lies under the sway of the wicked one. He doesn't care how good you look, as long as you're not using any faith, as long as you're not believing in Jesus. I mean, he'll let you, he'll let you go to hell being a good person as well as an evil person. He doesn't care, right? As long as he can keep you blind. And if you're just living out of your head and not walking in grace, then you're going with that flow because you don't have what it takes to go against it. Oh, I could, I could meddle right here. I'm going to meddle. I'll say it. I don't care. I think the whole church in America, for the most part, disobeyed God when they shut down. Just went along with it. Just, oh, okay. When the, book, when, the, when the book of Hebrews specifically says, do not forsake the assembling of yourselves. Didn't put conditions on that. And the Constitution even guaranteed us that right. The government broke the law. And the ones that were brave enough to stand up and fight it, guess what? They won. In this country. In Canada, they're still hauling pastors off to jail. But... They're brave. I mean, they're choosing God, and they're choosing to obey God and not man. And I've said it to you guys before. If my generation doesn't wake up, you guys are going to have to be strong. Because we're leaving you a mess unless we wake up. You have need of patience. I'm, I'm, I'm winding this down. Am I boring you yet? You have need of patience that after you have done the will of God, you might receive the promise. Oh, you know what? I didn't finish with the last verse. Backed up too far. At least the Wi-Fi is working. Yeah, take up the whole armor of God. That you may withstand in the evil day, and having, I'm not going to teach on the armor of God right now, obviously. And having done all to stand, stand. What do you do when you've done all to stand? The Amplified Bible says, having done all the crisis requires to stand, stand. Done all, right? If you're doing all to stand, you're doing all for the race. Having done all to run the race, run, right? Having done all to stand, stand. Keep standing. I prayed for wisdom. It hasn't come yet. Stand. Don't back up. Don't go forward. Stand. Stand on his grace. Stand on the water. Everything, having done all to stand, stand. And then it goes on to say having the equipment, right? Having the training. But you need to be doing all to stand now because the tribulation is coming again. 
The reason Satan sent the messenger to, to buffet Paul was because of the abundance of revelations that he had. He was being too effective for the kingdom of God. He was trying to slow him down. When you be, start becoming effective for the kingdom of God, you're going to get his attention. Again, if he's not bothering you, you're probably going the same way. And then you have need of patience. You have need of consistency. Once you're standing, once you're standing, you might receive, after you've done the will of God, after you've received the promise, after you've prepared, after you've heard from the Holy Spirit, you receive the promise. You need to, you need to know the, what God promised you in every given situation. You know? He's going to give you specific promises. We talked about that. They're the keys to the kingdom. His exceedingly great and precious promises. That's 2 Peter chapter 1 and verse 4. He's given us exceedingly great and precious promises that by these we might partake of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that's in the world through lust. If it's a situation of lack, he's, he's promised abundance. It's a situation of a physical thing. He's promised you healing. It's a situation of persecution. He's promised you the grace to endure it and to come through it. And maybe save those that are persecuting you. I mean, you know, sometimes he'll help you to overcome it. And sometimes, but some, I mean, in, in the case of Paul, when he got thrown in jail and, they, and the, God, you know, sent an earthquake that, you know, that opened up the doors and knocked the chains off of everybody and he wouldn't leave. He started the church at Philippi there, Right? It was, a, it was an opportunity. The persecution was an opportunity for God to be glorified. All right. First Corinthians. Do you not know that those who run in a race all run, but only one receives the prize? Well, that's not the, really the case here, but he's making the point. Run in such a way that to obtain it. If you run your race, you will receive your prize, right? And everyone who competes for the prize is temperate in all things. In other words, they've laid aside every sin and the weight that so easily ensnares them. Now they do it to obtain a perishable crown, but we an imperishable crown. Therefore run, thus not with uncertainty. Once again, you got to know where you're going, right? That's your hope. That's your goal. You know you're going into heaven someday, but you've got to have temporal goals along the way. You've got to, I mean, some of you are in college, some of you are thinking about college. You've got to have, you've got to know this has, should be something because God told you to, because God wants you to do it, because you delight yourself in the Lord and he's put the desire in your heart to pursue a particular career path. That's the race set before you, among, among other things. Thus I fight, not as one that beats the air. In other words, you know, you don't want to swing wildly. Like, like you know, you ever see, uh, what's that thing where they blindfold you and you've got to swing at the, the piñata, right? You've got to know what you're swinging at, right? You know, and I've used this analogy in spiritual warfare. I've probably used it here before. I, I keep using it because I can't think of a better one. It's such a good one, but it's like a bullfight, you know? You got, you got a 150-pound guy in tights and something that, I don't know, looks like a Mickey Mouse cop hat or something, against half a ton of horns and muscle, right? And yet they win pretty much every time. 
Why? Because the bull's deceived. He doesn't know what his problem is. We don't wrestle flesh and blood. He thinks the red cape's his problem, right? You're swinging at people. You're looking at people as your problem when, when you're really there, the answer to their problem. You don't want to, you want to, you want to hit the right enemy when you take, when you want to, when you unleash the weapons, right? You're not fighting people. You're here for people. And the love of God is shed abroad in your heart and you can love them no matter how ugly they are to you. Chances are, if you are, if you are on, on a mission from God and people are being ugly to him, it's probably because they're experiencing the conviction of the Holy Ghost and they don't want it. But keep it on them. They'll either, they'll either leave you alone or you win them. I discipline my body. I bring my body into subjection. We're going we're gonna to come into some of the most comprehensive, not, not some of, the absolute most comprehensive teaching in these next four chapters, five chapters, in the whole Bible of doing just this very thing. Unless when I have preached to others, I myself should become disqualified. You know, there's been a lot of pastors disqualified and ministers disqualified in my lifetime because when they preached to others, but they didn't discipline themselves. And they fell. So take this to heart. Prepare, right? Be ready. Train, right? Your, your, your time with God, this is training. This is, this, your time with God is personal training. You know, professional athletes train on their own too. And do you know that they discipline themselves? The really good ones? I mean, they live really disciplined lives for the most part. I know in my time, I've, I've, I can think, I'm not going to name names because it's a shame, but I've known, I've, I've seen a couple of guys literally eat themselves right out of the NBA or something. You know, they got drafted with high expectations out of college, but they just, you know, see, here's the thing, though. You have the Spirit of God in you. One of those fruits is temperance. You can lay aside every weight and sin that easily besets you. You can temper your body. You don't have to do what you feel like. You can control it. Stick around, and you're going to learn how. Amen? God bless you. Yeah.